Welcome to MuggleCast episode 453. I'm Andrew. I'm Eric. I'm Micah. And I'm Laura. On today's episode, we are discussing Order of the Phoenix chapter 17, educational decree number 24. We also have a couple of voice calls and a new illustrated edition series is in the works. (laughs) I can't wait to talk about that. But first, we wanted to start by bringing up an update on the Johnny Depp Amber Heard case. We've gotten a lot of feedback, so we wanted to address that right here at the start of the show. Recently, there was a new tape that surfaced in which Amber Heard is heard verbally abusing Depp. And it's it's pretty brutal. She says no one would believe that he's a victim and a bunch of other things. And it reminds us that Johnny Depp is not the only one at fault in this case. Yeah, I mean, we had some feedback that we had been less than kind regarding Depp. And and I myself um, was pointed to a past episode where I flat out called Depp a wife abuser. Um, you know, that case isn't finished. And I, I did not use alleged. Uh, and I was not I mean, I was just wasn't thinking in the moment, but I would like to retract that statement in light of the latest tape. And you know what? That's fine. I'll I'll just admit my mistake. Um, I I mean, I and I was careless. We weren't, you know, in the moment we were there was a lot going on with that controversy when he was cast, um, when when Yates and Rowling doubled down on him. And I think that may have been a heat of the moment thing, but I'm capable of admitting when I was wrong. Of course. Yeah. The way that I feel about this is it's an ongoing case and we're receiving new information (laughs) in the last few days. It feels like pretty frequently and it simultaneously clarifies, but like further muddies the waters because to me now it's clear more than ever that this was most likely a very toxic relationship that we don't have all the information on. So I would say, you know, for ourselves as individuals, but also for our fandom, it's a good lesson in approaching these kinds of stories with a level of nuance and understanding that we don't have all the details and just carrying that lesson forward. Because undoubtedly, there will there will be more that comes out of this case in the weeks and months ahead. Yeah, I, I agree with what Laura said. I think that given that this is an ongoing legal battle that there's going to be information that is going to be released in the coming months, maybe even the coming years strategically. And that's just the way that things tend to go so that it shows one side in a certain light and the other side in another light. And as Laura also pointed out, this appears to be a toxic relationship on both sides. And we're not inside these people's home. We don't know what goes on behind closed doors. And I think what happened here is that in this day and age, there's an incessant need to respond to something in the moment. And a lot of times when that happens, you don't have all the information. And I have no problem, much like Eric said, admitting when you're wrong. But I think at the same time, this is a multi-layered issue that has a lot of different components at work. And we need to see how it plays out over the course of the next several months. And Part of what I look back on is, you know, what would have happened if I said that I was supportive of Johnny Depp and actually believed his side of the story 
back in 2017. Imagine the response that we would have gotten at this show. You know, it just goes to show you based on the information, people's perspectives change and certainly the internet doesn't help that. I think, you know, always we just want to be true to our own opinions. Like that's, I we got into a conversation recently over on Twitter, but I mean, MuggleCast is our opinions. MuggleCast is our opinions in a moment, um, at a moment's time. It's kind of like a time capsule. And I have had my share of bad opinions in the past. Uh, MuggleCast, unfortunately, still being on the air, all the episodes on the feed, um, is now a catalog of previous bad opinions that we have all held. So... There's just that. All we can do is kind of change moving forward. Um, Yeah, so exactly. And moving forward, I think we will strive to be as fair as possible to both sides, as we should have been since the beginning. And I have said this before. I, I believe that both sides here are problematic. This was just a bad relationship. And these people both have issues that they're working through. And as has been said a couple minutes ago, We'll see how this case develops. Things could change over time. We don't know. But for now, um, we're going to try to be more fair. And we apologize to anybody who may have been offended by what we had to say or feels like we we didn't we haven't been treating this case fairly. And some people might be asking, well, why are you, why are you bringing this up? Who cares? Well, Johnny Depp is still going to be in three more Fantastic Beast movies presumably and it's important that we represent him accurately on this show yeah and in listening to that tape my heart broke for him mm-hmm. and and that's a hundred percent true because he is clearly he i mean amber heard's calling him a baby she's saying people won't believe you and and just i've i i i cannot empathize enough with the courage that it took to record this right because as Johnny Depp, one of the biggest movie stars in the world, you've got this wife who's verbally assaulting you, who's physically assaulting you, admitting proudly of physically assaulting you, and you have to sneakily record a tape just so that people will believe your side. Like, unfortunately, Amber Heard's decision and her choices in this situation have led to an issue where I think fewer victims coming forward will be believed like she's contributing not just to her own you know people's perception of her but she's made it worse for victims of spousal and domestic abuse moving forward and it just it's it's a it's a huge huge issue with long-ranging implications mm-hmm. yeah and and i think that you know, we reacted in a way that most people do and should and that is you believe the victim because you don't want to put them in a position or anybody else that may be around you that went through something similar to make them feel uncomfortable or make them feel like they can't come forward if a situation like that has happened to them. And so, uh, you know, this new information is is something that we need to take seriously, though, and, and realize that we misstepped several years ago and, and that we will be a lot more balanced moving forward. All right. So changing gears now, on a much brighter note, a new edition of Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone is arriving this October, October 20th, 2020. It is by Mina Lima, the graphic artist behind the Harry Potter and Fantastic Beasts film series. This came at a surprise 
for starters, Mina Lima has never been involved with the books as far as I know, not this deeply anyway. I mean, they designed the covers for the Fantastic Beasts screenplays that were published with each movie, um, but they illustrated the entire first Harry Potter book. This edition includes full-color illustrations on nearly every page and eight interactive special paper craft features that will make readers feel like they're headed to Hogwarts themselves. They'll have the opportunity to open an elaborately folded Hogwarts letter and Diagon Alley shopping list, reveal the magical entryway to Diagon Alley, open a die-cut fold-out Hogwarts castle, and make a feast appear in the Great Hall, amongst other features. So, this is cool. The cover looks beautiful. My concern is why is this being published in the middle of another illustrated edition series? That's the only part of this that feels strange because... to me. <laughs> what do we call this? What do we, that's my thing. How do we just refer to this? The illustrated The Mina Lima edition, I suppose. I was oh, okay, because I was like illustrated edition two, illustrated Illustrated Plus. Two sorcerers, two furious. Like what what do we calling in here eric to your question about what do we call this i would say capitalism (laughs) (laughs) okay okay but to that point i have peter pan by mita lima and it is amazing in fact mina lima have been doing these not related to harry potter uh fairy tale books they've they've taken popular fairy tales they've also done i think uh alice in wonderland there's a version of of their work and those are, I think, a great indicator of what we can see and expect to see inside this Harry book is they have those like fold out pages like you were saying, Andrew, but like it's really ornate and it's amazing. I um, just hope that this is something that will continue and not something that gets cut off right at Sorcerer's Stone because I feel like there's been other additions that have been created where they've tried it out. And then they haven't moved forward with it. I think didn't Sorcerer's Stone do a, a 10th anniversary edition or a 20th anniversary right. edition? 10th, but then they, they yeah. didn't follow through with Chamber of Secrets and Prisoner of Azkaban and on and on. Yeah. I do love the art. I mean, you're looking at the cover here, the way that they have all of the Hogwarts house symbols drawn in all four corners. I'm not sure. Uh, looks like the trio got left hanging because there are no boats in front of them to get across the uh, the <laughs> lake there. <laughs> So how do we cross? <laughs> uh, you'll recall that happens in the uh, the book. This is an alternate universe. Uh, stuff. <laughs> but uh, I will yeah. say. Oh, go ahead, Laura. I was just going to say, take my money. I- I'll buy this. <laughs> that was all. <laughs> well, to that point, I hope that the illustrated versions are going OK. I mean, I hope that that Jim K is able to maybe with the release of these books, we can handle, you know, the the consumer or the market will allow him the time that he needs to complete at least book one of Order of the Phoenix um, illustrated. Oh, Eric. Yeah, they're giving him a break. <laughs> they're giving him a little bit of a, a respite. He can, you know, work on Order of the Phoenix and Mina Lima can put out this book in the meantime. No, but but we also have Quidditch Through the Ages illustrated coming out this October, don't we? Or something illustrated is coming out this fall. Yeah, they can taper it. They can they can do, I mean, I expect maybe at least the first two of the Mina Lima will be out by by the time Jim K is able to complete. I, these books are bigger. He needs more time to create the these books. I think it's that simple. I mean, he's been he's been blogging on his site about, you know, how Order of the Phoenix is is going. 
Um, Micah, you asked if this is going to be a series. I think it is. The Rolling Library pointed out that on the spine of this book, it does say year one. I guess what surprises me most about this is I expected Jim Kay's illustrated books to be the definitive illustrated editions. Like, that was it. Because this is obviously a huge project. And now Mina Lima is taking on the task. EW notes that nearly every page is going to have an illustration. So they're going to keep up this pace for the other six books. Like, wow, how do they even have time for these Fantastic Beast movies? Like, do they have some ghost illustrators? Because this seems like a lot of work they're getting involved. (laughs) I wonder, though, if they had done this work over the last couple of years or probably as the Harry Potter films were, you know, these they are a huge part of the success of the Harry Potter film franchise yeah, and now, as you mentioned, are working on fantastic pieces as well. Uh, we did reach out to them, so we'll see if uh, they're able to join us on an upcoming episode. We've met them a couple of times over the years. They're just two great people, and uh, would love to talk to them about this new illustrated edition. But like you said, yeah, it seems like it's going to be a series because they even announced this on Good Morning America. So mm. this is Big they're deal. not holding back on this. Yeah, it would have been cool. I saw somebody in the Entertainment Weekly comment say it would have been. It would have been great if they used the British title for this book. Why can't Philosopher's Stone be published in America just once, just once with all these editions? Are they going to do that in the UK, though? Or this is just US publication? No, this is US and UK. Hmm. Yeah. I don't. So I, I love this. I will at least page through it. I'm not sure I'll collect the whole series. I'm good with having one illustrated edition series on my bookshelf. Well, in that case, why would they undercut their sales? Right. You know, by releasing this now. Who needs two illustrated edition series? I'm ruining the chances of our interview, Micah. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to say they're not going to come on. <laughs> Again, you guys, look, pick up one of the books that they've done that's like the fairy tale thing. I, Peter Pan, I can't recommend highly enough. It's really good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I have some of their artwork and I have it proudly on my wall. I just love, I love what they do. Um I'll probably get this first one just because it's the first. And then the others, we'll see. We'll see. Okay, it's time for some Muggle Mail now. We got a couple of calls. First, we got some great feedback about Harry deserving an O for battling Dementors in Prisoner of Azkaban. Hello, MuggleCast hosts. Happy Tuesday. I've just finished listening to Essence of Goat, where you did a superb job discussing the Hogshead chapter. It was truly stellar. I have a disagreement, though. In rating Harry's impressive feats, Andrew and Eric give Harry saving himself, Sirius, and Hermione from the Dementors in Book 3 a mere acceptable. I am with Laura that this deserves an outstanding. As I'm sure we all know, Dementors are a fictional manifestation of depression. Eric points out that it is more impressive when he fends off the Dementors at the beginning of Book 5 because that's when he is feeling down and drained. While Harry is in a less dire state, mental health-wise in book three, the Dementors don't care. They spread their feelings of despair and hopelessness anyway, because it's what they do. In the first Dementor attack, right after Lupin has transformed, Harry is hearing his mother die, he's seeing Sirius and Hermione passing out in front of him, and he's just witnessed Pettigrew get away. He's had a very stressful day, and now all these bad things are piling up, and yet he still manages to create some wispy attempts at Patronus. And if I recall correctly, Hermione can't produce anything. So here's Harry, age 13, making a strong initial attempt to keep the Dementors at bay. 
And in reality, I would compare this to a person with clinical depression just getting out of bed in the morning. And I have clinical depression. And despite a cocktail of therapy, medication, and social support, I still have days where I can't get up. The equivalent of producing a Patronus in that moment for me would be suddenly springing out of bed, taking a shower, packing my lunch for the day, and heading out the door whistling, even though I can't whistle. Even Harry's wispy Patronus attempts would be like me getting up, hopping into some sweatpants, and walking out the door with greasy hair and no food for the day. And some, that's the bare minimum, and there are days when I can't do that. Harry's 13, and he's hearing his mother dying, and he's seeing Sirius and Hermione on the ground, about to be soul-sucked, and still he manages to get some Patronus mist going. Later, after the time turn shenanigans, Eric says the happy thought is that Harry knows he has already done it before, and so it is cheap for him to be saying, I have self-confidence, boom. I don't think it's cheap at all for him to be inspired by knowing that he's done it before. I have days when I can't get out of bed, and I think I can do this, I've done it so many times before, and sometimes it works, but a lot of the time it doesn't. In fact, like 97% of the time, it doesn't. So in this first instance, Harry is feeling all the symptoms of depression and still is able to put up a fight. In the second instance, he sees he was able to do it before, and that self-confidence is what allows him to create a full Patronus. I think both moments are highly commendable and deserve an O for outstanding. Thank you. That was extremely well said, and thank you for your honesty. Yeah, that was an outstanding voicemail. I'm amending... My rating. (laughs) (laughs) You're retracting your previous grade. Yeah, I'm going to give it for the reasons that this caller said. I'm I'm going to move it from acceptable to outstanding. And yeah, I think I think the points are great. It just takes to it's it's always useful to remember that Dementors are kind of an allegory or a direct allegory for depression. And for somebody to be so vulnerable as to call in and say, hey, I have depression. Here's what it's actually like. Just reminds us that, you know, these books, that Harry's struggle was, in fact, real and not cheap, as Mm -hmm. I stated. Yeah. Yeah. And further, further proof that Laura is always right. (laughs) (laughs) That's Uh, dangerous. I I have my share of (laughs) wrongness over the last 15 years. Share of wrongness. Rem- no, remember when I was adamant? I was like, the final battle will not take place at Hogwarts. That would be so stupid. And then, oh, and then we it were did. just speculating. We were all speculating. <laughs> You're not a seer. We have um, one other great message here. Hi, guys. Garishma here. Um, so as we're talking about the introduction of Dumbledore's army um, and introducing the concept of Harry as a mentor and guide for students to learn defense against the dark hearts, Uh, The thought of Harry's career really comes to my mind. You know, we know down the line Harry becomes an Auror. I can understand on one hand the restlessness that Harry must have felt after the war was over and how that restlessness may only have been temporarily treated by continuing to put himself in dangerous situations as an Auror would. But there is another part of me that thinks that Harry would have taken time off and come back years later to be a professor, if not at Hogwarts, then another wizarding school. I recently read a fan fiction that Harry spent a few years fixing up Grimald Place and making it a summer school or even permanent residence for those kids who didn't have a safe home or family. I just see Harry having wanting to have a quiet life um, and helping kids have the childhood that he never could. What are your guys' thoughts on this? Do you think that it was realistic for J.K. Rowling to make Harry an Auror, or do you think it would have been more in his character to pick a different career path after some maturity? I can't wait to hear what you guys have to say. Bye. Do we think that the depiction of Harry in The Cursed Child 
is sort of reflective of how Harry's life turned out as a result of him becoming an Auror and maybe not pursuing Mm. uh, a vocation that was more in line with, uh, like this listener suggested. Hmm. Because clearly Harry has some issues in Cursed Child. Yeah. Daddy issues. (laughs) I think he would have had some issues anyway because Albus is challenging him in ways... I don't think he was expecting. But I do like this idea that maybe instead of becoming an Auror, Harry would teach students or or give them a life that he wishes that he had. Because an Auror is really continuing to deal with the action that he was dealing with in the first seven books. Of course, not as they're not as big of issues to deal with but mm-hmm. i don't know I, I i like this i like this idea harry deserved a quiet life after everything that happened in the first seven books in the seven books i could see him becoming more of a consultant to the ministry as opposed to being an aura i know that was always his ambition but when you kind of reach peak level at 17 and defeat Voldemort <laughs> right what's next there's really nowhere else to go in your career as an aura so you know, he should just kind of been given some sort of honorary recognition and uh, allowed to pursue another career. I think to the point that gets raised, he is a good teacher and defense against the dark arts is his bread and butter. And I think it would have been a nice tribute really to Lupin, who is the one who really builds the foundation for him uh, in defense against the dark arts to go and to teach at Hogwarts. Yeah, and there's just a in general a it's kind of a blind spot of the series is career paths. They make a big deal about giving career advice to Harry, but he's set in his way and we don't really learn is there a wizarding secondary school, meaning like college um it's, or tertiary education I guess you call it. But you know, what's out there? We don't know. It's a huge 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 wide world. We don't really know what else Harry could have done. It's also surprising to me that Harry would want to go and work for the ministry after everything it has put him through in his childhood. Yeah. Well, maybe he wants to get involved so the ministry doesn't ever go back to how they were in his first seven years. But you got Hermione for that. She's minister. Yeah. Yeah. I kind of wish Harry went back to Hogwarts. That would have been cool. Plus, I, yeah, like to the caller's point, he just did not get the experience that most students did. He was distracted by everything else going on. So it would have been nice to help out these fellow kids and mm-hmm. give them... Maybe there's too much trauma there. Yeah. Everything that he's been through. That's a good point. That's a good point. Yeah. I mean, also, he didn't actually graduate, did he? So could he even teach at Hogwarts? Fair point. Yeah. They're like, you get an honorary diploma because you vanquished the Dark Lord. Thank you. Mm. I'm sure they would grant an exception. Mm. Okay. So before we get to chapter by chapter, MuggleCast has launched a listener survey so we can learn what you do and don't like about the show. This will help us improve the podcast and plan for the future. It should only take you a couple of minutes to complete. Look for a link on our social media channels or check out the show notes of this episode for the link. Thank you in advance. It is a big help. So we appreciate you taking a couple of minutes to do this for us. And thank you to everybody who already filled it out. We've gotten lots of great feedback. We're going to sort through it all in a meeting in the weeks ahead and uh, figure out the path forward for MuggleCast. It's time now for Chapter by Chapter. We are discussing Order of the Phoenix, Chapter 17, Educational Decree, Number 24. And we will start, as always, with our seven-word summary. However, this time, we have 
a music timer, y'all. Oh, no. So we have to complete this in about 34 seconds. Wow. And how this is going to work each week is the first person is going to say their word, and then the timer is going to start. Micah picked this music, so if you don't like it, blame him. (laughs) Here we go. Serious. Is. In. Trouble. With. Uh, Umbridge. (laughs) How many seconds do we have left? 20. Awesome. Okay, great. (laughs) Oh. What about Umbridges? Well, you just wasted like another five. You had said Dolores. Hurry! Finish. Come on. uh, Reach. There we go. If you had said Dolores, I would have made it Dolores apostrophe. Uh, that would have been, you know, clever. Um, this is much more fun with music. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's very stressful. <laughs> I love how we're all yelling at Eric to uh, <laughs> to finish off. I'm like, how much is left? Good. <laughs> so Sirius is in trouble with Umbridge's reach. I, before we get to Sirius, though, I really love that this chapter opened with Harry feeling happy, yep. something we don't get to see him experience much, especially in this book, because he has a purpose now. He's really liking his decision to pursue Dumbledore's army, and nothing can get in his way now. Mm. Yeah. I thought you were going to maybe play a little Pharrell. There'd be some minions jumping around. Celebrate good times for five pages. Yeah, it was more like two uh, or uh, one and a half, because by the time Harry makes his way down to the common room... He finds out that uh, Professor Umbridge has completely covered the board there with her with the news of her new educational decree. And I wanted to just talk a little bit about the symbolism of the fact that this piece of parchment is literally covering all the other cool stuff that is on the board. And uh, she is slowly but surely taking over at Hogwarts. Mm-hmm. That's cool. It makes you reappreciate the good old days, you know, when they had all these cool activities to participate in, Quidditch they could play, these clubs, and now <laughs> it's being taken away. So maybe they are going to reappreciate and take it all less for granted. Yeah, that notice board, I take that for granted all the time, but it was one of the coolest areas of, I think it was the Chamber of Secrets game, because you could interact with it and there would be new tasks and to-do list things. Oh, that's clever. Yeah, all that kind of stuff. It's just so cool to to, because in the book, she goes through what's on there. And it's just like Micah was saying, it's stuff for the Gobstones Club, it's stuff for people are selling books, like secondhand books to each other. Um, Although it's well past the start of the year, so I hope they're not like... People really need some some books to start new classes. I wonder if students drop classes, like middle of the year. You never really hear that happening, but presumably they could do that. Mm. Well, Hermione does it in Prisoner of Azkaban. Yeah. Well, she's taking a few others, so it's okay. Yeah, yeah, she's yeah, not yeah. selling her books, though. She keeps all her oh, books. Oh, yes. <laughs> she's not she's got a, a secret, with those. secret stash of divination <laughs> textbooks that uh, she doesn't she, tell anybody about. <laughs> she's read them all back to front and knows everything she needs to know. Mm -hmm. So the immediate reaction from Harry is, oh, shit, we got found out because the educational decree is tied directly to student organizations, societies, teams, groups, and clubs. It's this whole thing, by the way, which we'll read 
Sounds like it was written by Percy, if I had to guess. <laughs> but the decree starts out by saying all student organizations, societies, teams, groups, and clubs are henceforth disbanded. An organization, society, team, group, or club is hereby defined as a regular meeting of three or more students. Permission to reform may be sought from the High Inquisitor, Professor Umbridge. No student organization, society, team, group, or club may exist without the knowledge and approval of the High Inquisitor. Any student found to have formed or belonged to an organization, society, team, group, or club that has not been approved by the High Inquisitor will be expelled. The above is in accordance with Educational Decree number 24. Expelling seems so harsh. Now, okay, for Dumbledore's army, yes, I get it, because you're going against Umbridge's wishes, but to expel a student over gobstone seems <laughs> extremely <laughs> harsh. You just wonder, did Dumbledore want to step in on a decree like this? I mean, uh, he must have. It's so transparent to threaten with expulsion. Like, that's such a, what's the word? It's like an, and not measurable like it's 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 just an ounce it's just so it's such an extreme yeah yeah it's such an extreme punishment that uh clearly this is it's just such a transparent way of umbridge seizing control and it's not just like in order for uh groups to exist you've got to get approved here's a deadline to get approved by no it's everything has to stop right now until and, and like cannot continue until approved it's a great way it's just like everything is shut down hmm. but what's the reasoning though it it and we know that she wants to have control over all of the students and over all non-class activity and this allows her to do that but is this because she knew about the meeting that took place at the hogshead or was this something maybe she was already thinking about and the first weekend visit to Hogsmeade allowed her to do that? She saw too many things going on that she just didn't care for. We know she's a control freak. Well, um, Andrew, you said that Willie Widdershins tells Umbridge later. You did some research on that. Yeah, she finds out through this Willie Wittershins guy, just somebody you hear about once and then never again, evidently. <laughs> he was arrested by the Ministry of Magic for enchanting the regurgitating toilets, which are brought up earlier in this book. Uh, but then he made a deal with the Ministry that if he spied on Harry Potter and his friends, they would let him go. Oh, my God. <laughs> so he's also following Harry in addition to Dung? Yeah, multiple people, mm. multiple people. Uh... So, yeah, it just seems too coincidental for Umbridge, although I think she probably was planning something similar to this. Right. This sealed the deal and, and made it – this needed to be Educational Decree 24, not 25, 26, 31, you know, whatever. Yeah. Mm -hmm. well, one other thing that I thought about, though, was doesn't this seem like something that you could complain to your head of house about or to your parents about, particularly the heads of house? Because – if if you have an established club that you've been running already for several months at Hogwarts, why should you have that taken away from you? Well, their their hands are tied, right? Because there's this new role in uh, High Inquisitor that is allowing Umbridge to kind of insert herself in all these goings on. So even if a club is is the best club of all time for morale and is doing really wonderful things. The High Inquisitor has her own set of goals that she is 
presumably fairly and with a balanced mind rating. Uh, basically, the High Inquisitor is able to determine the educational value of every gathering and and put the put the axe on it um, if she doesn't deem it to be appropriate. It's just an insane power grab. Yeah, I also wonder for parents and people who are not immediately involved in the daily goings on at Hogwarts, how much they would even know about this, to what extent they would be aware. It's not like the Wizarding World has 24-hour cable news where everybody's like constantly inundated with the latest outrage. So uh, I think the biggest dose of news these parents could get is their kid writing a letter to them being like, Umbridge banned Gobstones Club. She's such a bee, you know? Yeah, yeah. David, who's listening live, also brings up a good point. He says, so by definition, does the trio count as a society team group club? Because in this decree, <laughs> she says three or more. Yeah. Three does That's seem awesome. like a low number. I mean, there are groups of three. I mean, we would be banned. We're a, we're a club. Yeah. No podcasting. <laughs> oh, Umbridge would absolutely hate us. <laughs> oh, my God. Umbridge really could have gone all the way and banned the trio. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. They meet regularly. Mm-hmm. Well, the staircase in the girls' dormitory tries to uh, disband them. I would somewhere. I would guess that maybe the common rooms are exempt because immediately you have a group larger than three at all times in the Gryffindor common room and you don't need permission to be like, that's your common space. But That's interesting. It's not all Gryffindors in Dumbledore's army, and so that's why Harry still has this problem now, and it's even harder for him to figure out where they're going to meet. I also think this just goes to show um, how hampered Umbridge is by rules. She doesn't have any real deep human friendships with anyone. I mean, so she can't conceive of the fact that technically the trio could fall under this ban because she doesn't have any friends you can be friends with more than one person and hang out with them simultaneously (laughs) ew or like or like you can hang out with people just because you want to not because you have some common purpose you're working towards wow ew (laughs) well we know umbridge's best friend is cornelius and Mm. when your friend's the minister of magic who needs any others Mm. laura One other thing I wanted to ask you about, though, and we'll probably talk a little bit more about this later on in the chapter, but this really lends to Hogwarts becoming more and more of a police state where Mm -hmm. now Umbridge is in control of student activity and what they are and are not allowed to do. She has started to really keep track of communication into and out of the school. We'll see that with Hedwig a little bit later on in the chapter, but then also with Sirius where she's controlling the flu network. So when you're in a situation where student activity and communication into and out of Hogwarts are being controlled by this one person, that was the first thing that came to my mind. Yeah. And there are numerous historical examples of this happening. I mean, anytime a regime is trying to, you know, get its population into lockstep and to be compliant, the first thing they go after are the educational institutions every single time. So this is just another example of that. I think probably the biggest example we can point to is um, 
educational institutions during uh, World War II, the Nazi era, um, it was incredibly common for the Nazi party to go after these quote-unquote subversive mindsets of students at colleges and universities um, in order to quash the notion that what was going on was wrong. Absolutely. And and even the educational decrees themselves have some tie. They feel like they're, they're very much Nazi Germany-esque in terms of t- telling people what they are and are not allowed to do. Oh, yeah. Yep. Completely. All that said, couldn't Umbridge have just received a list of existing clubs and <laughs> – just basically gone through like she's evaluating all the teachers. She should have gone through, checked off gobstones, checked off Slytherin Quidditch team. Why does everybody have to resubmit? Yeah. Yeah. Well, this is one of those things that she clearly just like she knows about Harry meeting a bunch of people in a group trying to start something. This is her way of setting a rule for everybody, which is really a rule that's specifically about Harry. Right. And maybe it's to quash potential future clubs. Like maybe she fears that Harry isn't the only one who's going to come up with an idea like this. It's a fair point. Because you're right. Umbridge already knows about the club. So why does she have to force everybody to come in and and apply, so to speak, for their clubs? She's just doing it to, to warn people. Don't do what Harry did. Right. And you can imagine that this moment when Harry reads the educational decree it's one of those moments probably where your insides just freeze up because you feel like you've been found out or clearly umbridge has knowledge of what they're up to maybe she doesn't know the specifics but she knows that something is in the works and and the first thought by harry and ron is to go run up and talk with hermione and we get one of really the more comical moments of the chapter and i think something that we as readers probably had been wondering for a while. I'm not sure if this ever comes up in some of the other books, but when they try and go up into the girls' dormitory, uh, it doesn't go so well for them. No, it turns into a slide. You've been wondering about this? I don't really wonder about it much. No, 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 no. Back in the day. Oh. No, because there were moments where Hermione would be in the boys' dormitory with with Harry and Mm -hmm. Ron, but I don't think we ever saw a boy run up. Yeah. Another student, a, a a boy, try and get into the girls' dormitory. Yeah, it was funny. It was classic J.K. Rowling and classic Hogwarts that something this goofy would happen. That the stairs were enchanted, so a boy runs up and then it turns into a slide. I like it. I mean, this is something that could be great in the Muggle world. And then it got me thinking: like, how could we actually have this type of magic? I think it would be possible, like if our phones know our gender and then we're banning this gender from entering doors and cars and and clubs, <laughs> we'd be able to easily uh, prevent people we don't want from uh, coming into spaces that we're in. I always forget what chapter this is in where Ron tries to go up and gets shoved down because it's obviously not like the point of the chapter or whatever. It's one of those kind of throwaway, very humor moments, but like, like these two girls slide down right after Ron and are like, ooh, who tried to get up? <laughs> I, I, I kind of take it that J.K. Rowling wanted to put this in somewhere for a while, but just didn't have a space for it. Because it seems like something that Ron would have known about prior to this scene. Like you still see the foot of the 
staircase and surely somebody has accidentally tried to climb it from time to time yeah i was gonna say they're in their fifth year they've never seen this happen to like or heard about it. yeah or heard about it i mean but only hermione's read hogwarts of history i think that (laughs) because she comes down and she's like Mm -hmm. yeah the the founders hogwarts of history says the founders are just very old-fashioned and they thought that boys were less trustworthy than girls i wonder what would have given them that idea I wonder if that's like a subject they all agreed on or something. I don't know. Well, I mean, the founders are right. That's something <laughs> definitely that boys would do more than girls. Even today, Hermione calls it outdated, but um, even today. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm sure Fred and George have made a few attempts. So to your point, of yeah. how is it possible that and it could have just been like slip of the mind. It's It's interesting that J.K. Rowling explains it that way as if Ron and Harry didn't know oh, this, yeah. but- I would hope that five years into school there, they would know that rule and it was more of just slipped Ron's mind in the moment. He was just looking to get to Hermione. Well, and it's it's cute that, you know, he sees something and is like, Hermione needs to know and he runs up to go tell her. It's kind of... Mm-hmm. Like- also, there's there's ways around this. I mean, you can take a broom up the stairs. You can take like some add some suction cups to your feet and walk up that way oh my god how does it tell how do we think, I think it what knows? the founders i think what the founders were underestimating here is that um hormones find a way <laughs> <laughs> yeah the boys would just wait at the ed- end of the staircase for the girl they i don't know have a crush on to to come on down and see them well at least um at least harry's able to get his mind cleared a little bit because he is worried about being having been found out and he says what if somebody told on us and ron Ron says that and hermione says no no no. i put a jinx on the paper and this to me is, is is a show of how devious hermione is because if you go back to the last chapter she tells everyone hey um i have there's this there's this thing i kind of want you to sign it and i feel like maybe we shouldn't talk about this to Mm -hmm. like other people whatever everybody signs it but now we find out that she jinxed it and if anybody does reveal or if anybody went telling umbrage they would be faced with what we eventually know happens uh, a condition that makes Eloise Midgen's acne look like a few spots. Poor Eloise. Just like, man, Hermione flat out, like, it's, it's. I'm not 100% okay with what Hermione did. She's savage. Well, would there have been harm to telling everybody that, hey, if you tell, this is what's going to happen to you? I don't think there would have been. Fewer people would have signed. Well, well but that's okay. Tell them afterwards. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. It's it is underhanded for her not to be. She's she's real shady about it. Hermione is not often shady, but she's really shady in that moment. Well, I think she realizes the importance of this particular moment, and it goes uh, under the radar for good reason. And one of the things that I think that could have been problematic for Dumbledore's army was how other students react to having read the educational decree. And then in the Great Hall, later on that morning, they're all trying to come over and talk with Harry, Ron, and Hermione. And Hermione rightly is telling them, like, stay away. Like, if you come and talk to us and we're all congregating, that's going to be a a really big hat tip to umbrage as to the fact that something is going on. (laughs) Let's go to History of Magic. 
A great class. Always energetic. I'm taking a nap. <laughs> Go ahead, Andrew. Just Well, it has the potential to be useful. What is it? They're talking about giant wars today. Mm-hmm. Hmm. <laughs> With, who who is this relevant to? I wonder where Hagrid is. Um Huh. Little bit of a hint from J.K. Rowling. <sighs> Too bad it's a sleeper. Why don't we see Umbridge in Professor Binz's class? I would like, I think that would be comedic gold. Because even she knows it's so boring. She doesn't want to touch it. (laughs) Well, no, I mean, well, okay. So assuming she did eventually go to the class, we just don't see her go to the class. She probably would have liked this class a lot because you're just studying a book. (laughs) You're going off of history. And, well, I guess he would be talking about Voldemort a little bit, so... Mm. Maybe that would make her a tad uncomfortable, mm. but largely I think Umbridge would like Binz's class. Yeah, because he's just lecturing. There's no dialogue. Yeah, exactly. There's no wand work. There's Yeah, he's just going off of history. During this class, though, Hedwig shows up at the window, answer to uh, this week's Quizage question, Woo-hoo! and she's injured, and... This is part of what we were talking about earlier with the lines of communication being monitored. I can't recall if we find out who is responsible for injuring her later on. We'll discuss that in another chapter if that's the case. But this is a situation where now Harry should be extremely careful about how he's communicating with the outside world and who he's communicating with. And when he goes to take Hedwig to get help from Professor Grubbly-Plank, McGonagall tells him as much. And it just it blows my mind that he would then at the end of this chapter still communicate with Sirius <laughs> because it's such, it's such a like tip of the hat as to what is to come. McGonagall is telling him straight out. Be very, very mindful of what you're doing here. And she's not just talking, I don't think, about owls. She's talking about all forms of communication. And then, you know, he's reckless again. I don't know how he would have been able to communicate with Sirius in such a short span to let him know not to show up in the flu network. Right. But maybe when he first shows up to say to him, look, communication lines are being monitored. And I think even Sirius- Can't talk by. Yeah. Sirius, I think, says something along those lines where- he he may even think that there's a chance that he's being watched. So it just it's very very reckless, classic serious. And <laughs> well, Harry, it's worked for Harry so far. He's proud of his um, cryptic messages. He really needs to speak to Sirius. It makes him feel good. He knows Sirius enjoys talking to them too. There are more benefits to continuing speaking with Sirius, then there are cons for Harry at this point, and he thinks he will be able to get away with it. He gets away with a lot, and this is just something else that he thinks is going to work in his favor. Mm -hmm. Plus, he does have an adult, you know, Sirius, willingly speaking to him. Yeah, It may have been one thing if Sirius was like, no, I don't want to do this anymore, it's too risky, but Sirius is encouraging him as well. Yeah, and I, I think for me at least, not to jump to the very end of the chapter, but when the hand is in the fireplace... I didn't know that that was a thing that could happen, no. right? Like, like the flu network can be so, it's really creepy. It's such, it's creepy. The visuals are very striking and it's a complete game changer as far as what you thought was safe. 
or secure, right? Like, so for me, it like McGonagall saying that to Harry, and and it's underscored by by what happens. But like, man, Hogwarts is a police state. To your point, Micah, like it's it's scary how not secure like how much control Umbridge has. It reminds me of when here in the States, we found out that the National Security Administration (laughs) literally had access to all of our text message. Text messages could listen to all of our phone calls if they wanted to. Right. Yeah. And McGonagall legitimately seems concerned, not for Hedwig, but for Harry. And screw the owl. Who cares? (laughs) Especially when Harry, you know, through his own code tells her who he was corresponding with and i i just think that harry needs to be a lot more careful especially given the fact that umbridge is starting to lay down all these educational decrees yeah well let's hope this is a learning lesson for harry Mm mm-hmm it also cracked me up that Grubbly Plank was smoking a pipe indoors. Like she comes out to to help Harry. Does that not smell in the Wizarding World? I wonder what's going on there. Do, do they not cause cancer? Like, I thought you were no, just. They can oh, just sorry, yeah. They can just Evanesco the cancer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think I think it absolutely smells. But that's this is J.K. Rowling's idea of what a wizard is, right? Like it's it's very. The wizards in um, Lord of the Rings are always smoking like long bottom leaf and the um, or the. <laughs> is she smoking flu powder? Leaf? Huh? Maybe it, that's what it's called. Is it really? Or the hobbits, the oh. hobbits smoke it. Yeah, yeah. The name long bottom comes from Lord of the Rings. It's a direct, mm. direct pull. <gasps> J.K. Rowling stole something. Mm. But, I, I thought um, maybe you were going to say that uh, Harry showed up at just the right time because Grubbly Plank and McGonagall had just finished since she was smoking a pipe. <laughs> getting high oh that's well that's one way of looking at what i said but there's a whole nother way of looking at it as well oh i see anyway i think you probably wizards can probably deal with the um the fallout uh they can use a magical filter so only the right there's yeah yeah yeah. i i can't imagine now a lot of people over in england smoke every time i go over to london i'm like wow there are a lot of smokers over here over here in america i i think a lot of people have caught on to the dangers and it's become less cool to smoke but over in london like you can't step 10 feet outside without somebody smoking in your face can't wait for those emails now (laughs) (laughs) no i i think i think it's important to just note that there's cultural differences there i think that that's 100 percent valid yeah yeah that's why i well and the good news for mcgonagall and grubbly plank is that they are less than three people so they can keep on their (laughs) smoking club in peace <laughs> they can continue smoking those yeah. pipes together. <laughs> this spoke to me though as uh, an opportunity for yet again the readers to see Grubbly Plank as being a effective professor because she is mm-hmm. caring for Hedwig. We presume that she is going to do right by her and and heal her. And I'm not sure not to get into like too much of a, a debate here. Would Hagrid be able to be helpful in this situation, do we think, with Hedwig? I think so. Yes. I think so, too. I mean, that's who they initially want to turn to. That's who Harry wants to turn to. And then he remembers that he's not there. The one clue from this chapter is that Grubbly Plank is talking about what could have injured Hedwig. And she says, you know, the Thestrals sometimes go 
for owls or sometimes can go for owls. But what she says is that Hagrid has trained the Hogwarts Thestral so darn well that they don't ever, not once, go for owls. So I think if Hagrid can train Thestrals, he absolutely could have handled the owl the way that she's doing. Mm-hmm. But that's sort of ironic because don't we see a Thestral jump out of the forest <laughs> while Harry is in the owlery? <laughs> For no apparent reason. The Thestrals are are going rogue now that Hagrid is not not there. Great, great. (laughs) Another like quick Thestral drop on the part of J.K. Rowling. We obviously at this point Mm. don't know what they are. Yeah. And and Harry's like, exactly. And Harry's like, I don't know what that is, but I do not care. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But meanwhile, I keep seeing these bony winged horses everywhere. Oh, that's weird. Am I contact high? What am I looking at? (laughs) Mm -hmm. Let's talk about Neville and Draco. And uh, Draco, of course, is really just bragging about the fact that the Slytherin Quidditch team has received approval to continue on with their activities. And uh, he talks about uh, people with addled brains and that there's a special place for them in St. Mungo's. And this draws a reaction from Neville, and understandably so. Mm Mm-hmm. And we've never seen Neville respond in this way before. Harry knows why he is responding in this manner, but most of the other students, probably all of the other students, have no clue. And uh, no, it it was really kind of a a sad moment. And I would have liked to see Neville deck Draco personally. <laughs> well, even even Draco has like his jaw on the floor, seeing Neville come at him, like. Draco just runs his mouth and runs his mouth and never expects that like something he said is get like he's ever going to pay for it. Mm-hmm. And I hate that type of person, but it would have been very satisfying. Yeah. yeah. And going a little deeper here, we have to remember that Draco's aunt was one of the participants who actually tortured Frank and Alice Longbottom to the point where they had to be put in St. Mungo's. And I'm sure Neville's aware of that mm. familial connection. Oh, God. Yeah, so Draco, uh, not not cool, bro. And uh, we will see Frank and Alice Longbottom later on in this book. We'll also run into a Professor Lockhart in the same part of St. Mungo's. So a little bit of uh, not foreshadowing, but uh, interesting that uh, J.K. Rowling would drop that here and then we go get to experience that a little bit later on in this book. Classic Joe. It's also good learning lesson for young readers treat others the way you wish to be treated um, and be mindful that what you say can affect people in ways that you do not realize because too often we might make jokes uh, amongst peers or even here on the show that might be insensitive towards others but we just don't know their backstory so it's kind of just like a good reminder that just don't ever say anything mean because there's a chance that somebody could be really offended by something. They could take it personally for reasons you may never know. Yeah, absolutely. And I uh, jokingly thought that given that Harry is quote unquote fighting with Neville, Snape makes the decision to take 10 points from Gryffindor. I thought he would have given 10 points to Gryffindor given that two of (laughs) those uh, students were fighting with each other i completely agree with that actually that seems like something that would be right up his alley 
10 points for punching Neville in the face. Well, you mentioned that Umbridge was not in Professor Bin's class earlier. She is in potions with Professor Snape. And uh, this was just a great sequence during uh, the Order of the Phoenix film between uh, Amelda Staunton and Alan Rickman. And uh, Harry just can't, I don't think, get enough of this. Like He's watching it the whole time as it's transpiring. And it ends <laughs> up backfiring on him because Snape catches him watching. And uh, he gets uh, some extra work as a result of it. But uh, we learned a little bit about Snape uh, in this exchange between him and Umbridge, particularly that he has tried many, many times to be Defense Against the Dark Arts professor and and not been given that position. Yeah, that's and, a that's a big revelation and something that I was always fascinated by. I can see why this was really um, embarrassing for Snape too, because the kids are learning that he's been a failure. He's had this thing that he's really wanted to do for a long time. And for some reason, Dumbledore has not given it to him. So it's embarrassing to have this announced to his classroom. I do wonder where Umbridge got that information. Right? Like, Dumbledore wouldn't have made that known that they're, like, unless Snape, unless the application process is some kind of formal... That's what I'm thinking. ...paperwork thing that involves the ministry, but, like, oh, maybe, you know what? Maybe it does, because if he's applying, clearly the ministry would oversee certain appointments, and if Dumbledore is reaching out to the wider world, maybe they have a paper trail? Yeah, or maybe just at Hogwarts you have to apply on paper. And Umbridge, since she has no life, has just been sorting through all that paperwork and found these numerous applications from Snape. Yeah, good point. I I bet it was Willie Wittershins. <laughs> he tipped her off again. You definitely want, like, I thought the lesson was going pretty well. And then when Umbridge brings that up, you're like, ooh, he's going to get even with her so hard. Mm-hmm. And you're just waiting for her immediate downfall that i don't know comes right away but like she crossed a line there in bringing that up Mm -hmm. harry says that he doesn't know who he wants to win because he hates them both so much but i think he should want snape to win in this case because umbridge has been permanently scarring him i think for harry it's a bit like watching a train wreck he's just it's so horrible but he can't look away Mm -hmm. yeah harry uh Definitely enjoys himself up into the moment where he gets extra homework. Yeah. So typical Snape. We also uh, visit Trelawney's classroom. We learn the fact that she has been put on probation. Don't think we're much surprised by this, given uh, how her evaluation went. Yeah. Any thoughts on uh, Trelawney? It's real unfortunate because um, hers was the most transparently useless appointment at hogwarts like she's just she goes out of her way like when she um predicted something for umbridge it just it was such a clear attempt to scare her and i'm just not surprised by this result at all no i think this was hard to read because we have to see trelawney so emotional in front of the students like you should never have to see a teacher this way Yeah, I think what makes this hard is that Trelawney definitely deserved to be put on probation because she's not a good teacher. But 
it's hard to accept that because the way that it happened with Umbridge undermining her in front of her class was incredibly unprofessional. So it's it's kind of like, yeah, she she does deserve this, but at the same time, the the timing of this and and the method that was used to put her on probation was also very unprofessional. Mm. And Honestly, not all that legitimate because as we talked about, who is umbrage to evaluate exactly. anybody? <laughs> a ministry official, Micah. Don't you dare question her. They what should pro- let McGonagall observe Umbridge's class. Yeah. <laughs> Love it. I don't even think she would want to. She just doesn't have time. She doesn't care. She's not interested in judging these other teachers in the way that Umbridge is, even if Umbridge is is uh, doesn't deserve to be uh, judging all of them. Right. What does it mean though that Trelawney's on probation? Though, just like this is a warning: if you screw up one or two more times, you're out. Yeah, I, I think that means that she's subject to further evaluation. Maybe mm. it goes up to Fudge or to somebody else at the ministry to evaluate while she is on probation it's it's not so we've got this crazy seer in hogwarts yeah it it is definitely tough to read this part of the chapter and and it is important i think too though to note some of the information that we're getting during these moments because as a first time reader something like snape saying that he applied multiple times for defense against the dark arts that's confirmation of something that we as readers you know, kind of take for granted because at this point we've read all seven books, but that's a first time reveal that I think is it it it's important. And then I think Trelawney also drops the amount of time that she has been working at the school, kind of as she's muttering under her breath. So just little nuggets of information that that are important. Mm-hmm. All right, let's uh let's all get cozy by the fire <laughs> and uh go go to the Gryffindor common room. There can only be two of us on the couch and then like two of us like far away <laughs> by the staircase <laughs> that goes up to the uh, boys dormitory so that we're not three uh, or more together. Uh, Sirius does show up and uh, he's kind of excited. You know, he's 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 happy that uh, the trio are, are fighting back and, and sticking it to umbrage. And um, one of the first points, though, that he does raise is that Hermione has a lot to learn uh, because her decision for this group to meet up in the Hogshead wasn't the best one because there aren't that many people there. That would make you think that, oh, that's a great location because there aren't a lot of people. But yet there's something to be said for meeting in a public setting where you would be expected to be in the first place, right? So the three broomsticks, if you had gone there and you're congregating and there's other people from other houses and you're having a conversation, yeah, I mean, I, what do you all make of this? It, it, I think it would have been less coincidental for them to all be in that location. I love the nuance oh, there. Yeah. yeah. I, I completely agree with Sirius. On the other hand, they would have been very noticeable, like this large group hanging out at the three broomsticks, all congregating. And since it's loud in there, they'd have to all be tight together so they can hear each other speak. I, I'm i of two minds of that, uh, on this issue because I, I believe Sirius is right. But on the other hand, they would have stuck out like a sore thumb. Yeah. And, and they did. But you, it was it would have been impossible to have the conversation they needed to have 
in the three broomsticks. You just couldn't do it. Yeah, you, you'd be it would have been you'd have to like pay the uh, whisper down the alley or I guess people call it telephone. Right. Why? Um, like one person teaching, telling one person, he says he's not going to tell us about Cedric. <laughs> and then he turns to the, you know, like to have the conversation. Granted, there is that space above the three broomsticks where Harry overhears the whole Peter Pettigrew discussion mm-hmm. um, back in book three. And maybe they could have convinced Rosmerta, like Ron could have gone up and blushed real hard and said, hey, can we, we have a slightly larger group. Can we go upstairs? But even then, you have a lot of people taking note of where they're going. Um, yeah, I don't know that there's a, a but, right or wrong way for them to. No, they did. I mean, I, I think you know, you can make arguments for either one. I mean, the flip side is that you're in a location where then everything that you say can be overheard, whether it's by, you know, the Yorkshire Dementors or the Goat Lover or Mundungus, like all those people in that bar clearly heard what they were talking about. And, you know, I I hear you because then if you're in the Three Broomsticks, you would have to scream pretty loudly so yeah but also willie wittershins would have stuck out like a sore thumb in the three broomsticks <laughs> <laughs> what the best solution have been going into the forest or something something where there's definitely nobody hagrid's hagrid's oh yeah sure nobody's there yeah. then again they are being followed so really yeah. there was there was no solution here i just love that there's like there's four people in the hogshead every single one of them is a spy it's like following Harry for someone or another like it's pretty crazy except for the Yorkshire Dementors right they're just yeah no they're they're just having a good drunk. time yeah, yeah they're, they're okay. just yeah <laughs> just Dementors just want to have fun you know <laughs> <laughs> speaking of Mundungus we learned that he was the witch and he was telling Harry but I'm a bit confused was he there before they arrived like if he's responsible for keeping tabs on Harry how did he know that he was going to be at the Hogshead? That's kind of the thing. It's a good question. Yeah, because he he the, after the children come in, there are no other adults that come in. So Willie and Dung would have already had to have been in the bar. Um, mm-hmm. But I guess Sirius says in this chapter that Dung was banned twenty years ago, <laughs> and uh, so I think I think Dung just happened to be in there he what he is following harry that's his job but he went in for like a pick-me-up and that was when he kind of happened to find harry i don't know about willie got so he got lucky you're saying yeah 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 Yeah. i could definitely see dung being like oh i'm gonna nip in here for a quick drink and then harry comes in and he's like oh perfect awesome dumbledore is gonna be happy with me he's working from home today (laughs) (laughs) one other bit of information that we learned is that Molly doesn't want Ron to be involved in this group, but surprisingly, she doesn't make any mention of Fred, George, or Ginny. And I don't know if that's just because she doesn't know about them. She doesn't love them. <laughs> Next topic. This is just more of Molly being Molly. Uh, no, I being think a mom. I think she just isn't aware that Fred, George, or Ginny are involved at this stage. Like, of course, Ron is involved here's the thing i don't know what she's playing at trying to like save ron's soul right there's this thread of this like percy's trying to do it too but like molly herself has all this moral courage she's in the order she's fighting voldemort she's even on duty they don't know what that means on duty tonight um like 
I think it just means in the Hall of Prophecy, but like she has all this courage, but she doesn't want her own children to exercise the same courage that she is showing in defying things because she could get in trouble. I I, I don't know. I don't know how she thinks they're going to learn, really. Mm. What? I think she's just trying to protect them. Yeah. She thinks that they're children and that they shouldn't have to be... Um, you know, resisting in this way, especially when they're at school. I think also she's trying to appeal to Ron as a prefect. Mm. Again, like we have to remember how much emphasis she put on Ron being made a prefect earlier on in the book. So I think she's trying to appeal to some sense of like responsibility, mm-hmm. which of course is not working. And yet she's okay with these fireside chats. These seem like a security issue to me. So I'm surprised that she's cool with Sirius talking to them. I wouldn't be surprised if she didn't know about them. The chats? Yeah. But Molly asks Sirius to relay the message, so she must know that Sirius is talking to them somehow. Oh. It's a fair point. I can't really combat that in any way. Maybe she doesn't know the details, just that he is getting a message somehow. Yeah, it it, it does seem quite dangerous for Sirius to be putting his neck out there. No pun intended, and 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 risking being caught by somebody like Umbridge, especially knowing now the level of control that she has over the school. With Molly, though, I wonder too. For her, she's suffered tremendous loss in her family during the first war. We know that her brothers died, so I wonder if there's sort of that extra level of concern for her family given that that happened and knowing how involved her and Arthur are now. Remember the the Boggart in the wardrobe scene from earlier on in this book. Mm-hmm. I think that she's very, very concerned uh, for her family. We know Bill and Charlie are involved with the order to some extent, and she doesn't want any more of her children fighting back and, and putting themselves in risk. Totes. Toots. Totes. <laughs> no, I heard that episode a couple weeks ago. I didn't like that version of me. <laughs> we stopped calling you that. Why did we ever stop calling you that? We mentioned this earlier, but Sirius is very happy that the trio is fighting back. It's very Marauder-esque, and uh, he couldn't be happier. Uh, but at the very end of this chapter, he is almost caught by Umbridge. Uh, I'm not sure exactly what tips him off that she's there like can he sense another witch or wizard being present like did she kind of there's like a there's like a click or something there's like a sound that he hears and he twitches and turns around and then oh i know what he heard like andrew pause (laughs) that (laughs) well but also she is trying to grab for him so apparently you're able to physically touch other people in the flu network yeah well, it that's an interesting piece because remember Yaxley is able to grab on to – is it Hermione when they're escaping the ministry and that's why they don't go back to Grimmauld Place and Deathly Hallows? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But he just kind of held on. Umbridge not being in the Gryffindor common room fire or the Grimmauld Place fire should not be able to access their – conversation it's like um when we had landline phones right and somebody in the house upstairs or downstairs would pick up the phone when you're on the the phone when you're on the conversation right i've done that. sorry half the listeners of the show will not know what i'm talking about but you google what it. is a landline <laughs> yeah you can you can you can get on and like there's a tiny click 
and when somebody picks up and you can hear them breathing maybe right well if you're good you're able to pick up the phone without being noticed i got really good at that but that (laughs) but anyway but umbridge yeah yeah but yeah all of we all had experiences with our parents trying to spy on us when we were on the (laughs) phone uh, younger this is what this reminds us of or vice versa i was mm-hmm. just bored this was before <laughs> podcasts like this was a podcast secretly listening in on your parents phone conversations yeah. <laughs> younger children just ask your parents about it but um <laughs> no serious the book says he broke off his face was suddenly tense alarmed he turned sideways apparently looking into the solid brick wall of the fireplace so we don't know exactly what you see when you're head only in in the flute network but Sirius clearly had some kind of a he has enough experience with the flu network that he could detect when the call was no longer secure. Mm-hmm. I have a question about this and I might have missed something, but in order for Sirius to talk to them this way through the flu network, is he literally like on all fours with his head in the fireplace? That's what I understand, because when Harry does it later, that's what happens. Like, OK, it's just it's so funny. <laughs> Can you imagine walking in a room and seeing somebody like that? Well, who is it who's in the Weasley's fireplace in book four and Molly feeds him toast? <laughs> oh, yeah, you're right. She gets like, can you imagine eating like that? <laughs> so that toast is extra crispy. Yeah, I guess. Good grief. Mm-hmm. This reminds me, though, of just our larger conversation that. Andrew often likes to uh, talk about the fact that Hogwarts is a security nightmare. Starting to sound like a security nightmare. Security nightmare. (laughs) Just think about it. Anybody can use the flu network. Does Sirius have to do certain spells or charms to be able to access Hogwarts? Or is he getting, you know, I don't know, like direction from somebody in the order about how to go about doing that. It just it just seems like then anybody could use the flu network. Death Eaters could drop in. Well, it's like yeah. you can get a you can get a court order to tap phones, um, like phone lines or used to be able to. Um, you know, this the flu network is not WhatsApp where everything is supposed to be encrypted, even WhatsApp technicians aren't supposed to be able to like see those messages. It's not that. It's very much just your standard telephone lines. So because it's a public service, a flu network, it's something that the government probably pays to have operating, they have a back door. But why can anybody just show up in any fireplace? That seems like a major issue. Like, uh, you should be able to turn that off. I think it has something to do with Hogwarts. Um, Like, all the flus of Hogwarts on the network. Like, like Umbridge's office, she later makes it the master... um, like network like her fireplace is the master fireplace Mm. i think that that's like if you it's like if you were to telephone hogwarts you'd telephone and then all the other fire uh all the other fireplaces would be extensions you know what i'm saying like dial three for ravenclaw that kind of thing so (laughs) i think no i i honestly think that's how it works so that's how umbridge is able to get into the Gryffindor fireplace through whatever the master fireplace is. Maybe it's Dumbledore's or maybe she makes it her own. But I think yeah. that's why, because like all the fireplaces at Hogwarts are connected to each other before they're connected to everywhere else. I was also just a little disturbed by Sirius just showing up when he thought the time was right. Like you don't know which students are still up. It's noted that it's past midnight, but I feel like a lot of kids could be up past midnight. Mm-hmm. 
Definitely. Well, and he got he was seen briefly by like a second year the oh, last yeah. time he did this. Yeah. Do you think they saw Ember serious or Flame serious? I hope Flame serious. <laughs> the better serious. Yeah, for their sake. Flaming serious. <laughs> but do we do we have to deduct one from the Umbridge suck count for doing something that actually is a good thing and monitoring the flu network? I think like that's something that should be top of the oh. list priority from a security standpoint and Dumbledore is not doing his job. Interesting a deduction. I like this idea. I can go uh, along with I, this. I don't. She we but she's not she's not using her powers for good. Yeah, well, and like we're gonna say congratulations, you didn't suck this one time. We're only counting when she did suck. Yeah, but like if Dumble or if Voldemort went in via the flu network, she probably would have tried to grab for him too, right? Because she wouldn't want anybody to see Voldemort. So I don't know. I think Micah has a point. <laughs> yeah, I would also add one to the suck count. Well, we'll get there in a minute, but anything else to wrap up the chapter? I mean, this is as we said kind of earlier on, Hogwarts becoming more and more of a police state with Umbridge at the helm. She's monitoring the lines of communication, whether it's the flu network, whether it's the owls. She's taking over in terms of monitoring all student activity when they're not in class. I just wanted to mention one little thing. Ron says, hark, who's talking? I didn't know what that meant when I was a kid. Definitely some British slang. Isn't it like, look who's talking? Exactly. But, okay. But hark. The herald angels sing. Don't understand. It, it's it sounds very Shakespearean. I will say. Yes, yes, it does. <laughs> it sounds more like Percy than Ron. I don't. Harkus. I don't know. Maybe that's just me. Like character wise. Maybe he picked it up from his brother. Maybe he wants to sound fancy every once in a while. Yeah. All right. Let's get to the umbrage suck count. So for educational decree number twenty four, that's definitely one. <laughs> For suggesting the strengthening solution should be removed from the syllabus. I thought that was pretty bad. <laughs> uh, holding off on giving the Quidditch, the Gryffindor Quidditch team permission to practice. We didn't talk about that too much today, but wow, like that is just so blatantly BS. There's absolutely no reason. Right. She approved Slytherin right away. They should all be approved right away. They should. They should because they're regular teams. The house points is tied into it. It's like too valuable to lose. But she tells Angelina that she has that she needs time to think about it, like for Gryffindor. And mm -hmm. that is mm -hmm. such a blatant uh, like favoritism. Yeah. Yeah. And then are we deducting a point? Well, I, I have for a couple Micah's of other thought? suggestions oh, here that would probably counteract the. the a deduction <laughs> negative one i would say for putting trelawney on probation or unless we feel strongly that she should have been put on probation Ooh. yeah it's just a scare tactic and umber just spreading this fear and 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 really contributing to trelawney's lack of well-being so i would say so i guess the question is is she doing it because she genuinely believes that trelawney is a bad teacher or is she doing it because just because she's umbrage. Mm. Well, she's doing it. I, 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 I doubt there's an, there's ever been a process for probation that's been readily enforced when teachers aren't living up to standards. So it's it's totally umbrage being umbrage. So then I would say add one to the suck count. Yeah. All right. And then one more, which was uh, for it for umbrage. If umbrage had not enacted educational decree number 24, it would never have caused Draco to say what he said and put Neville into that state of mind. So everybody loves Neville. 
I have to give her another suck count for that. Okay, and that can be erased by your crediting yeah. her with... <laughs> if if you want. There you go. So one, two, three, four, five, minus one. So it looks like we're up to 32 times. Man. Umbridge has sucked. All right. My goodness. We have so much book left. So many more opportunities to suck. <laughs> We do have a few threads to connect, though. Um, so I thought it was really interesting in this chapter that Sirius suggests the idea of the DA holding their meetings in the Shrieking Shack, because the trio first enters the Shrieking Shack after Sirius drags Ron into it. This is also Prisoner of Azkaban Chapter 17. Wow. wow. It's just... Love a good throwback. Just beautiful. <laughs> just beautiful. And then chapter 17 of Prisoner of Azkaban ends with Snape revealing himself from under Harry's invisibility cloak. And then this chapter, 17 of Order of the Phoenix, ends with Umbridge's hand appearing in the fire trying to snatch Sirius, both cases in which enemies emerge in order to expose Sirius. Mm. Then we also learn about Snape's defense against the dark arts aspirations and his envy of people who hold the position. So we find out at the end of Prisoner of Azkaban that Snape is the one who's responsible for outing Lupin as a werewolf, which is the reason why he has to leave his job. And then we find out in this chapter that he has applied for this job numerous times over the years. This is it's it definitely lends a lot of context to why um, you know, maybe why Snape had so much animosity towards Lupin, yeah. apart from all of the childhood trauma that he endured at the hands of the Marauders. Okay, it's time now for our MVP of the week. Oh, wait, this has new music, too. Are you all ready? Okay. Yeah. I don't know how we're going to intro this, how we're going to do this going forward. So it's time for our MVP of the week. Oh, boy. Look out! <laughs> In this corner! Oh, wow. <laughs> uh, I'm going to give mine to Sirius for ducking the hands. That was impressive because if he was caught, those hands would have been very uncomfortable on his neck and maybe he would have died. So good job, Sirius. I'm giving mine to Professor Grubbly Plank. Not only is she able to take care of Hedwig, but she's also the one who really tips Harry off to this idea that his communications might be monitored. I'm going to give my MVP to Hedwig for uh, taking one for the team due to uh, Harry's uh, inability to listen to what McGonagall tells him. And I'm giving mine to Fred and George. Um, Hermione can't find a single rule that they're breaking. <laughs> After they uh, <laughs> expand their enterprise, they 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 they're making money, and and Hermione can't stop them. So good for them. Yeah, it's a shame. Now let's rename the chapter: Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix, Chapter Seventeen. Hark the Toad, Nevermore. Wow, <laughs> that's the most Shakespearean of all wow, time. Okay. A little Edgar Allan Poe, a little Shakespeare. But also a little bit of Poe yeah, in oh, there. Oh, yeah, a little yeah. Poe. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there you go. Mm -hmm. I just needed to use Hark, and I was thinking Hark the Raven, you know? Hark the Craven. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I went with Harry Potter in the Order of the Phoenix. Chapter 17, Big Brother is watching you. Mm. 
similar to Laura, I went with Harry Potter, The Order of the Phoenix, Chapter 17. Software. That is Every Breath You Take by Micah. <laughs> you wrote a song just for today. Yep. I gave it, uh, I named it Harry Potter and the Order of Phoenix, Chapter 17. Much ado about barfing. Um, because that's what Fred and George are doing in the common room in front of everybody. It's disgusting, but funny. <laughs> if you have any feedback about today's episode or our chapter analysis, Send it on in to mugglecast at gmail.com. You can write to us or send us a voice memo that way. You can also call us one nine two zero three muggle. It's time for quizage. Last week's question was who visits Harry in History of Magic? And we were right. Hedwig. We said it was Hedwig. Yes, Micah. Uh, good job, Micah. Good job, Micah. Very, very good it's job. My MVP of the week. We actually had some really good uh, turnout in for in terms of people answering this question. Uh, it's not likely for Harry to get visitors, so I'm glad everybody kind of <laughs> seemed to remember this moment. But um, the winning answers were submitted by Ryan Nolan, Annika, Steph, Riley, Promvi, Alexandria, Caleb, Danny, William, Reese with Outer Spoon, Cat's Pajamas, Count Ravioli, Caleb, Matthew, Two Beers, Joseph, Stephanie, Stacy, Christina, Jason, Michael, Not Eric, and others. Congratulations to everyone who got correct answer over on Twitter. And next week's question, we need music for Quizage. Why do you guys get music segments for all the other? Go pick it out, man. Yeah, go figure yeah. it out. I, Micah picked out those songs. Pick out your okay. own. It's going to be like the Jeopardy theme. <laughs> <laughs> this week's question, what spell does Gryffindor use to help them practice at Quidditch? So mm. next Quizich answer, next Quizich question has to do with Quidditch. Mm. Okay. How meta. Yeah. Submit your answers to us on Twitter using hashtag Quizich over on MuggleCast, at MuggleCast. You can also follow us on Instagram and Facebook, username MuggleCast there as well. You will get Throwback Thursday clips. You will get show previews. So thank you for following us on social media. Before we wrap up today, we just want to let everybody know that we will be off next week. We will miss you, but we have a couple of things going on, so we will um, not have a new episode out. However, we will be releasing a new bonus MuggleCast in the days ahead over at patreon.com slash MuggleCast. Micah, what are we going to be talking about? We are going to be talking about Dolores Jane Umbridge. A lot of... Uh... Interesting information on her over on wizardingworld.com. We get her backstory, her rise to power within the ministry. A lot of good stuff to talk about that lets us know why she is the person that she is in the uh, Harry Potter series. But I will just say, I love the fact that I am coming to Chicago next week and both of you will not be there. <laughs> Eric, this is the <laughs> second time in a row this year I will be in Chicago. You will not be there. And I, Andrew, know. I know. He's avoiding you, obviously. Uh, yeah, clearly. But, but Andrew and I will be in LA. <laughs> right. I'm going to be learning about podcasting. Eric's going to be learning about Doctor Who. Yeah. Yeah. So we're, we're busy nerding out over here on the West Coast, baby. <laughs> All right. Um, but yeah, we referenced this piece written by J.K. Rowling mm -hmm. about Umbridge a lot. Yep. And it was actually originally published on Potter No More. <laughs> um, luckily, it lives on on WizardingWorld.com. 
And since we referenced it so much, we're going to go through it, talk about the details and um, how it applies to our analysis of Order of the Phoenix. So again, that'll be available at patreon.com slash mugglecast. You get lots of bonus content there. Somebody wrote to us the other day. They said, well, I have access to all of the uh, previous audio content if I pledge now. And I said, heck yeah, we have four years of content there now. So you can check it all out by going to patreon.com slash mugglecast. In addition to all those installments of bonus mugglecast, you will also be eligible for this year's physical gift. You will also be able to tune in to our weekly live streams, which we do on Saturday or Sunday morning. You get this raw, unedited, behind-the-scenes look at the show because we're you know, putting together the show and uh, it's trying to make it through each episode. <laughs> so you can tune into that <laughs> every weekend. And you can also participate. We have a little chat room going on as we are recording. Thanks to everybody who is joining us today. All right, that does it for this week's episode of MuggleCast. Thanks so much for listening. I'm Andrew. I'm Eric. I'm Micah. And I'm Laura. We'll see you in two weeks. Goodbye. Bye. 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 Bye.